My name is Wendy Hummel, and this week I will speak with Bill Morrow, law enforcement veteran and author. After turning to Stoicism during a low point in his life, Bill started to apply the concepts of the philosophy and began to heal. This ancient philosophy is often misunderstood, and I am guilty as charged. I used to think that Stoicism meant being emotionless, and because most cops hold back emotion for the sake of professionalism, cops are often described as being Stoic. After taking a deep dive into the philosophy a few years ago, I now have a different outlook. Stoicism can be highly beneficial for cops and all first responders. The stoic virtues of justice, wisdom, temperance, and courage don't purport indifference or a lack of emotion, but as Bill talks about in this episode, how to come to peace internally despite the chaotic world around you. Stoicism is wisdom in action, a blueprint for self-mastery and perseverance. Here are some names you may recognize, all self-proclaimed Stoics. Theodore Roosevelt, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ryan Holiday, J.K. Rowling, Tim Ferriss, Jim Mattis, Pete Carroll, Vice Admiral James Stockdale, Michelle Tafoya, and Ariana Huffington. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is eight-year veteran Bill Morrow. He has worked in corrections, patrol, and investigations. Bill started studying Stoicism in 2018 while working the night shift. He noticed a parallel between this philosophy and policing and how applying the Stoic virtues of wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance improved his character and his attitude towards stress. Bill was so impacted by the benefits of the Stoic philosophy that he wrote a book that was recently released called The Stoic Cop. Bill's own struggles, which he candidly shares in the book, inspired him to help other officers so they may apply Stoicism not only to their daily work as police officers, but to their lives. His belief is that adopting this philosophy into your life is a great asset to one's mental and physical health. Stoicism is a framework for living a meaningful life and living to your full potential. I reached out to Bill shortly after making it not even halfway through his book. I have personally been studying Stoicism for the past few years and have often thought of how this ancient philosophy applies to modern day policing. Until now, there have been few resources on the topic and none that integrate the two to the depth that Bill has in this book. So when I learned of the book, I knew I needed to chat with Bill. Bill's ability to take tangible examples of calls that he's been on and community community interactions that he has had and demonstrate the benefits of how the application of stoicism helps and how it helps to improve self-awareness and decision-making. Bill has a bachelor's degree in justice studies and is currently working on an advanced degree in justice studies. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. So I really appreciate, first of all, you taking the time um, on your day off to talk to me, but but really more that you took the time to write this book. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you just maybe start out and tell our listeners a little bit about your background, maybe where you're from, and and how you just decided to get into the field of of law enforcement? So I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey. Uh, My father was in the military, and uh, he was actually a corrections officer for 27 years. 
Um, I think the last five of his years, he was on uh, the ICE task force. He was a gang specialist. And um, so I just grew up in that law enforcement, you know, paramilitary type household and lifestyle. And uh, yeah, that was kind of like the path. Because of that, that's the path I chose to get into law enforcement. Um, Right now, I'm down in Florida. How I got here is, uh, you know, anyone from New Jersey listening, it knows how hard it is and competitive it is to get hired up in uh, that area. And so when I was working corrections and I had an opportunity to get into the law enforcement side down in um, down south, uh, I jumped on it, hoping to get experience down there and go back to Jersey. But my wife doesn't like the cold, so we ended up staying down south. Well, she sounds like a smart woman because we talked about the weather before we started. And where I am in Kansas, it's like negative digits, which which the warm weather sounds really good about now. Yeah, yeah. And so just kind of an interesting thing to, to share with everybody, which it, at least it was for me. So I'm, I live in the Midwest. I've lived here and, and moved here uh, when I met my husband to start my law enforcement career. But you and I graduated from the same high school in New Jersey, um, like 20 yeah. years apart, right? Yeah, just the, I think it was like you said 86 you graduated. I did. Yeah, and then I, yeah, so I was 07, so I had 20, 21 years. Yeah, so shout Crazy. out to Mount Olive High School Marauders, if anybody's listening, that Mount <laughs> Olive High School. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it sounds like it was kind of a natural progression for you. So your your dad was a corrections officer, and there doesn't really seem like there was any hesitation, or was there anything else you thought you might do? Um, The military was another option for me. Um, I wanted to go in right out of high school. Um. My dad, had, having been in the military, he's like, no, nah, you should get your degree first, and that way you have options to either go officer or enlisted. You don't have to just do the enlisted side. And then um, out of college, uh, I still had that idea of going in after college, but then the policing came up because that was the, the ultimate goal. So I ended up doing the law enforcement a few, like a year or two out of uh, college. Well, um, there's a lot, and I told you this before we got started, there's just a lot that you talk about in the book, and I, I have a lot of things I'd love to talk to you about. Um, but first, I think, um, if you wouldn't mind, I think a lot of those that are listening may not have a very clear understanding of what stoicism actually is. I know I didn't. Um, at first, in fact, to me, um, the word stoic meant like a statue or somebody who has no emotion or being stone-faced. So can you kind of set the record straight and just kind of give everybody a brief intro or like a little session on what stoicism is? Yeah, so I had the same um, notion prior to like learning the philosophy that, you know, someone who's stoic is someone who's emotionless or, you know, they just look like they don't care physically on the outside and they might seem it on the inside like they're just indifferent. But it's a misunderstanding because the philosophy teaches someone to you know, come to peace internally, despite the chaotic world around them, because life is just chaos at times. And you're not gonna be able to control everything that happens to you, you can only control your reaction to it, or your, you know, your feelings towards it. So yeah, um, when stuff gets chaotic, you know, you can choose to be overwhelmed and stressed, or you can just take a step back for a second, say, you know, chill out. And, uh, you know, reassess how you should be reacting to it. And in and, and most instances, you'll realize that being more, having a more calm approach or calm demeanor to the stress um, 
obviously helps you solve the problem at hand. And I think that's why people think Stoics are emotionless, because they approach chaos in a very laid back, almost maybe indifferent type of uh, manner. Right. And, and all of that, everything that you just mentioned is, is all, they're all things that um, would absolutely benefit, well, not just anyone, but specifically those who are doing a job in law enforcement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Between, you know, the chaos at work and the chaos at home that stems from work. I mean, it's definitely, you know, a good philosophy to utilize for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, if if you're good with it, I want to kind of take a deep dive right into the book because I really think it helps kind of tell the story um, of how you got interested in stoicism. You talk about uh, in the very beginning of your book, um, what sounds quite honestly like a really low point or maybe the lowest point for you, you talk about um, having suicidal thoughts or ideations. And in the book, you actually say that you've never really admitted that to, to many people before. So I thought that was very brave of you to, to talk about that. Um, because I, I'm a big proponent and that's kind of one of the things that inspired me to, to start this podcast is I'm a proponent that you'll never know the impact or the ripple effect of, of your sharing your story with someone who may have, have been experiencing the very same thing. And so Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I appreciate you. I really appreciate your your vulnerability, your honesty, and and it's great. Um, so when you talk about that, what led you to take that deep dive into stoicism after um, that low point in your life? So I, I know I mentioned in the book, like I grew up Catholic, and when I reached that low point, I was like, you know, do I start going back to church? Like, what's what's the answer? Um, would that would that really help? But, you know, then I really thought about it. I was like, yeah, I grew up Catholic, but obviously I'm, I'm not a, I wasn't a practicing Catholic because it's not something that I was, I guess, believing in throughout my life. It was just something, you know, I mean, growing up in New Jersey, people just go to like their CCD class after, after church on Sundays and they just kind of go through the motions until they're done with it and adults and they can make their own decisions. But, and that's how it was. I just went through the, the uh, motions as a kid. And so when I thought about going back to church, I was like, nah, church isn't the answer because it's not something I'm I'm a proponent of as, you know, I am right now. And then uh, I had purchased the book uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius like two years before this all stemmed. I just had never got around to reading it. So when I realized, you know, maybe going back to church wasn't the answer, maybe I'll pick up this philosophy book because I've always liked philosophy as well. And then reading it is when things just started really the wheels started turning the light bulb started going off and everything's just kind of made sense to me and i was like this is the answer here yeah and in the book you talk about um the fact that you had been what you call kind of good up until a certain point you know and you even specifically talk about learning and reading kevin gilmartin's book i kind of call him the grandfather of this emotional survival stuff and you mm -hmm. even you had that in the academy is what it sounds like, but you thought to yourself, well, that's not me. And and I think you even say that, you know, you, your idea at that time when you were in the academy was that people choose to be sad. Um, and mm -hmm. I thought that was a really telling, um, a telling quote, because I don't think that you're alone. And that's why I think it's so important for us to talk about this, because you specifically attribute your issues to your shift work. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so my 
so my uh, my first police agency, not when I was doing corrections, but my first police agency, I uh, we had rotating shifts, which is it was three eight hour shifts. The afternoon shift was the steady one, and then the nights and the midnights were the rotating one once a month. Now I'm a day person just by nature. I hate the midnight shift. Um, the only reason, the only thing I like about the midnight shift is that's where all the fun happens. And when you're proactive, obviously you want to be on the midnight shift. But um, so yeah, my first police agency, you know, we had a month of days to a month of midnights and so so on and so forth. And uh, so the months that I was on midnight shift, where I was just besides having fun doing the work, my my physical state just being in misery all the time because I hate staying up all night. That was counterbalanced with going to that month of days to where my mental and physical state were stable because, you know, just going back and forth, in my opinion, uh, really helped me. Then when I got to my second and current law enforcement agency now, um, they have permanent nights. And I got put on permanent nights, which I was okay with because I was like, you know, that's where the fun is. Um, and my plan of attack, I guess, to be cool with being it permanent was to alter my sleep schedule to where I'm sleeping all day, every day, and up all night, every day. That way, when I'm at work, I won't be tired. But um, that was cool during the summer months where it stays, you know, light until 8, 9 o'clock at night. But in the winter months, when it gets dark at 5, you know, I would sleep till 3 or 4 in the afternoon, get up, and then the sun's already going down. And it was just a continual, continual world of just darkness. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a daylight person. I need that daylight to have some sort of mental edge in life. So that that was the the detriment to me right there was just the continual uh, dark hours. Even on my days off, you know, I wouldn't even alter my schedule on my days off. It would just be sleep all day, up all night, and by myself. <laughs> Yeah, and what you're saying is backed by science, too. Uh, I interviewed um, Dr. Stephen G James. He's a, a Ph.D. in criminal justice out of Washington State, and he does sleep research with first responders. And he talks about the circadian rhythm and how it's just not natural, first of all, for us to work at night and not to be asleep at night. And so you got that going against you in, initially. And then I even asked him specifically that question what do you recommend for those on night shift? Should they go back to their regular sleep schedule on their days off? And he said, absolutely, which is sounds like that's the opposite of what you did. Yeah. Because you do need to be exposed to some light and it can have so many detrimental effects and, and can lead to depression and, and all sorts of things, which sounds like you already know that because you've probably experienced some of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can't. It sounds like a good idea to keep on that same sleep schedule on your days off so you're not tired during the work week, but it is just, I would rather sacrifice the sleep to be up during the day than to be up all night and miserable. Yeah. So what kind of signs and symptoms did you, did you first notice? Like when did you know something just wasn't right with you? Uh, it was just, um, I guess, lethargy, just really lethargic. And I've always been a really active person. Um, physically, like I love working out. I love like I said, being outside during the day doing something active. And I just had no energy to do anything. You know, I had to force myself to go to the gym. And then, um, you know, on top of that, then, you know, on my days off where my wife would be sleeping and I'd be up all night by myself watching your mindless television, that's when your thoughts just kind of start escaping you and you're overanalyzing things and you're 
you know, alcohol doesn't help either. And it, it all that just kind of compounds and you're just like, you're mentally just weak and, and tired and just not, not good. So did your alcohol intake increase then during that time frame? would you say? I would say, yeah, because there's really nothing to do at three o'clock in the morning by yourself and watch TV and kind of make the time go by quicker with like alcohol. So yeah, I would say it was definitely higher consumption than what I would have been used to. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of people that, um, that I've talked to, they use alcohol, um, to try to fall asleep, but it actually ends up having the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you end up staying up. <laughs> right. So, um, how, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about how all of this started to impact your family, because one of the things that often we forget to talk about is the impact that this job has um, on our family. And really, they're probably the ones that are the first to notice if there's something wrong. Yeah, so me and my wife were, so I guess to backtrack a little bit, on top of the lethargy and the, you know, the fleeting thoughts was also agitation, uh, just easily angered by the most minute, you know, pointless things to get mad at. So that caused animosity between me and my wife. I would just, if I didn't like the way a conversation was going or if she did something that I didn't, that I thought I didn't like or was, you know, stupid, I would just get angry at it for no reason. And yeah, there was a, there reached a point where like, I was just like, I, I'm done. I like, I don't want to, I don't want to be married anymore. So we actually got to that kind of conversation right before I decided I needed to change. And we've been good ever since. And then as far as other family mem uh, members, yeah, my mom, she's very in tune, especially because I live down south. And whenever I go home to, to Jersey to visit, like she immediately senses, you know, things about me. And so that Right before I started, you know, pulling myself out of my funk, I had went home to Jersey to visit, and my mom knew. She's like, "There's, you're not right. You're, uh, there's something wrong with you." Because I was like, I was home visiting, but I was like bedridden during the day because I just didn't want to do anything. So yeah, uh, family members are definitely, they see the change in you. I think before you even realize it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like um, it was good that you went home and that your mom said that to you because it seems like shortly after all of those things that you just mentioned is when you you knew that you had to do something. It sounds like there was a turning point for you, and that's when you started. You picked up your your meditations book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, just if you don't mind telling us, so after reading meditations, what changed? When when was that turning point for you? Because it's it's hard to pinpoint sometimes for people what when the switch just flips. Oh, I think it, it was more gradual than instant, if anything. You know, um, like the philosophy teaches you, you know, you got to you control your reaction to things. And I so at the beginning, it was just like consciously being aware of how I was reacting to things. Um that was like one of one of the big steps. Another step was I was analyzing what was actually wrong with me. And I started realizing that the sleeping all day and staying up all night thing was not working for me. That's what was, I think, actually doing it. So then I was like, 
you know, on my day, even not on my days off, even like on my work days, I would, you know, I'd get off at six or I'd get off at 7 a.m. I'd be in bed by eight and I would force myself to wake up at like noon or one. So operating on four hours of sleep was my sacrifice to having the that adequate amount of daylight in my life. And then during that time, you know, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't sit in my living room during the daylight time. I would actually go out. So I would actually go out to a park and, and read meditations, like just to get out of the house and get that fresh air and that sunlight. And honestly, just that alteration in mindset and that alteration in my schedule, my sleep schedule made a huge difference. It was just like, it was insane how like, you know, much of an impact that made in uh, my life. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned that because that could be very helpful for somebody who's listening right now who may be in a, a similar situation that you were because we we tell people it's good to get sunlight and be outside in nature, but uh, again, there's evidence to show that there's there's a reason why that's the case, and and I really like it how you you've even just vouched for that. Yeah. And how, how long did it take you to to notice that you started to feel a little bit better after you started to change? Oh, uh, it wasn't like horribly long maybe like a week or two i i it was just you know a, a breath of life just kind of goes back into you and uh yeah you just feel a whole you know whole lot better and then of course it, it doesn't stop there once you start feeling better i mean it's like taking you know medicine you don't take half of a prescribed bottle of medicine because you start to feel better when the prescription says you know take it for x amount of days i mean any doctor would tell you that's how you get sick again um, so in your mental health, it's the same way, just because you start feeling better mentally after two weeks, um, that, you know, it, it shouldn't stop there. Whatever you're doing to make yourself feel better, you should keep doing it. And that's another thing that, you know, philosophy teaches you, or at least stoicism is, you know, it's not enough to just read a, a philosophy book and be like, yeah, those are some good quotes. I like those. And then that's it. I mean, you got to actually implement those virtues that you're reading in those books in order for it to have any benefit to you in your life. Yes, exactly. And and the thing about stoicism, and you, you say this in the book definitely more than once, is that it is wisdom in action. I mean, it's not just reading it. It's not just throwing quotes up on your social media. You're actually practicing it every day, every moment. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm at the point now where before, just about before I say anything or do anything, in like a public setting or even in a private setting, I, I'm conscious about what, like how I'm analyzing the situation where before, like, you know, most people are very impulsive, even if they're not super impulsive, there's an impulsivity to like how they conduct themselves where now it's like, I literally analyze and, and very conscious about how I'm acting or what I'm saying, which is the whole point of practicing philosophy is, you know, being able to critique yourself and analyze yourself so you avoid that those impulsive emotions or acts or words for that matter. Yeah, and obviously it's beneficial at work, but, but probably even more so at home, I could imagine. Oh, yeah. Like I said, me and my wife are great now. Like It's probably never been better, our relationship. So, yeah, it definitely helps privately and professionally to implement so whatever philosophy you want that, you know. In the book, you um, 
there was in the beginning, and then we can move on, um, kind of like a turning point. I know you said that it was kind of a gradual awareness of, of what was going on, but um, do you mind just sharing, and I don't really want to spoil the entire book because I want people to buy it, but you talk about a time or, or a call that you went on and a situation with a, an older woman that came out to check on you in the rain, and then you actually also, I think right in that chapter, um, put in a quote from Rusticus, who's obviously a, a stoic. Um, I received the impression that my character needed improvement and discipline. Yeah, so I open up the book with kind of like that uh, pinnacle moment where I realized I needed some sort of help. Um, and I was getting on the midnight shift. Um, I think it was like around 11 o'clock at night. So I had just started a few hours before. And I get a, a message from our dispatcher to go check out this house where one of our detectives was still like um, held on scene for. And uh, they wanted me to make sure that either he was or wasn't there. So they could either log him off or, you know, God forbid something happened to him that I could help him. So I was looking at the map where she wanted me to go um, uh, look for this detective and like his GPS little icon wasn't shown in that area. So I'm like, you know, what's this? So I go over to the area anyway. Of course, I don't see any detective there. And mind you, it was like torrentially downpour, you know, pouring at this time. So like any lazy cop, you're like, I'm not getting out in this rain to, to check any further. I, I don't see any detective car out here. So like, that's that. That's the end of my investigation. <laughs> so uh, I'm sitting there for a few minutes just to like waste some time. And in the middle of the road, I see like this figure walking down the street. And uh, I'm just like, what, you know, what the hell is this? Like, is this someone coming to bother me or does someone need help? Do I have to get out of the rain now and actually help somebody? Um, <laughs> and as it, the figure gets closer, I can see it's like this old 80, maybe even 90 year old woman, not even an umbrella, just a jacket. And uh, she's walking towards my car. So I'm like, all right, now I have to hop out because like maybe this old lady needs some help. So I hop out. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's just like, you know, nothing. I just came here to check on you. I'm just like, check on me. She's like, yeah, you know, I just saw you uh, sitting out here and I just figured you needed someone to talk to. And then um, she went, into tell, went on to tell me how she's uh, some sort of deacon in her church and she wanted to pray with me or for me. And I was like, sure. So uh, we were sitting out in the rain and uh, she did this little prayer. And uh, we parted ways. She went back to her house, and I, I got back in my truck. I was like, that was so, like, just, what happened? <laughs> and then that's when I was just yeah. like, I was like, all right, there's a sign telling me that something needs to change in my life. And, yeah, that was kind of the, the pinnacle turning point. Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty neat story. When I read that, and you, you know, you talk about something bigger than yourself kind of intervened at that point, which was just, you know. Another yeah. sign. Yeah, it was it was definitely spiritual to say the least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, if you don't mind, let's switch gears a little bit because um, one of the the chapters, and I think you actually mentioned this in more than one chapter, is you talk about ego, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I think um, we can all agree that is is not just prevalent in law enforcement. Really, all of us have have an ego, which we we need to. But um, 
sometimes, well, a lot of times we can be our own worst enemies. And you talk about that specifically in the book when it comes to ego. Mm -hmm. And then you provide a solution for ego, which I'll let you talk about humility. Um, can you talk a little bit about that chapter and, and why you decided to talk about that specifically? Yeah. So I think ego, although it is a driving force into being successful, I mean, no successful person in in this world didn't have some sort of ego driving them. I mean, they weren't completely just, you know, humbled by everything. Because then what's the point? If there's nothing to strive for, you don't have an ego pushing you, what's the point of, you know, doing anything worth, you know, succeeding in? But um, so I'll, I'll put that out there from the the beginning is like ego is not a horrible thing. However, I think, especially in law enforcement, because we're all type A personalities, ego does get out of hand. And it is, I think, a detriment to the profession, um, especially when you're dealing with citizens, you know, because out on patrol, I would say probably 75% of your shift is dealing with, you know, your your casual, typical citizen, and maybe 25% is dealing with actual, you know, criminals and bad guys. Um, and I think, and especially in my experiences, I think maybe the line blurs for us sometimes like we'll get off a call with a bad guy where we have to like go hands on or we have to be, we have to talk to them in a way that they it gets through to their through to them that, you know, they have to do what you tell them. And then, you know, the next call, maybe we're dealing with a, I don't know, just some sort of typical civil matter complaint. And then you're talking to these, you know, typical citizens like you would a bad guy. And I think, you know, that's where we get ourselves into trouble is this, our, our ego gets a little out of hand sometimes that we're just talking to everyone with some sort of authority that doesn't necessarily need to be imposed at that you know point in time. Sure. And you, you also specifically talk about how when we're, we're own, we're our own worst enemy, meaning like with each other. So a lot of times, you know, we're, you know, you're talking about citizen encounters or encounters with bad guys or victims. But what about um, what you say in the book about how we treat each other internally, our coworkers? Yeah, and that's another, you know, point where ego is detrimental to the uh, the profession. Is we are so quick to judge other officers or deputies about how they police and how you know we can do it better than them or we would have done it this way. Where, what good is that? I mean, what good is that serving the collective of the agency? If you're bashing rookies for making a mistake or you're bashing one officer because they, you know, they made a mistake, it gets, it gets you know, the teamwork of the agency nowhere because instead of criticizing and saying how you would have handled the situation better and putting that other deputy down either to their face or behind their back, um, what you should do is try to educate, be like, hey, I saw you handle the situation this way. Um, you know, can you just give me some background as to why that may have happened? And if I can give my input, like this is how I would have done it or maybe a better way, you know, just uh, some sort of civil discourse about tactics and problem solving skills instead of just being quick to demean someone's way of policing, you know, try talk, talk about how, you know, other ways things could have been handled. That that's, that's how you, you know, get a, 
a better team amongst the agency instead of factions and, you know, those little clicks on shifts and whatnot. And so how, how did you specifically, or how, how do you explain this to people in using the practice of humility to kind of counter that? Um, I, I, I would say it starts with not viewing yourself as someone who's just so important all the time. You know, you have to be vulnerable and you have to realize that you make mistakes and you're going to screw up. And no matter how many years you have on the job, you're still going to encounter some situation that you've never seen before and you're not going to know how to handle it. And um, so, yeah, I I think humility starts with recognizing the fact that just because you have X amount of years on or X amount of training or X amount of whatever, you're still going to screw up. And you're still not as perfect as you may see yourself to be at times. So, yeah, it's it's just it's flipping that mirror on you and actually analyzing yourself. Like, where am I screwing up and where could I be better? That's, I think, how you get um, humbled in a sense. So if there's someone listening right now who's new to the Stoic philosophy, what would be the first book that you would recommend that they read to kind of get them on that? that path? Uh, and I guess it really depends on the reader. Um, I would say any of the, for like beginner readers or people who don't read a lot, um, they want something easy to read. And the Ryan Holiday series, and I know we've talked about that before, is a great introduction to Stoicism. Um, he puts, Ryan Holiday puts it in a very up-to-date modern um, sense that's, like I said, it's easy to read that and you can easily understand it. Um, But if you actually want to read the philosophy as it was, I guess, conceived, you know, a few thousand years ago, I would start with Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, He's very matter of fact in his, his writings. So it's, there's not a lot of, uh, I guess, thinking that has to be done when you're reading it. You can just read it and you automatically can be like, all right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense right there. So, yeah, I would start off with probably that book. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, there's definitely a lot of good nuggets in that that particular book. Yeah. And I know you, uh, and, and we can get to this later on too, but I know you share a lot of those quotes, not just by Marcus Aurelius, but by other Stoic philosophers um, on your social media sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on my Instagram, I do. Well, another chapter I wanted to talk to you about is that there's, uh, you talk about vigilance. And so in policing, you know, we we all know the term hypervigilance, um, which I think we can all agree is just having too much vigilance. That's what the word hyper means. Mm-hmm. But I really like the way that you explain it and you break it down into kind of three categories, emotional, mental, and physical. And if could you kind of talk about why you decided to present it that way and, and kind of what your your framework is when it comes to to vigilance? Yeah, so I like like you said, I broke it down into mental, physical and emotional vigilance because um, they are three separate areas of your all, overall well-being. And I think that they are interdependent on each other. So, I mean, you can be an emotionally stable and vigilant person. Um However, you could be physically way out of shape. You could be like 500 pounds and can't move out of your own way. And, you know, that's not being vigilant in this 
uh, profession, to say the least. So, yeah, you need to, in order to be overall vigilant in your well-being, you have to be adequate in the mental, the physical, and the emotional side of your of yourself. Yeah, and there's some, and I can't think of what it is right now because I didn't write it down, but there, there's several um, bits of wisdom and quotes that Stoic philosophers have even mentioned specifically about keeping physically fit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, although the Stoics do harp more on your mind than the body, um, they do also believe that um, physical activity keeps your mind sharp. I believe it was Seneca when he was he had severe asthma and a lot of what kept him mentally uh well was trying to be physically well so yeah they definitely harped on the idea that being physical helps your mental and emotional well-being as well uh, as well yeah and and even today just kind of fasting forward and, and shifting that that concept into modern day policing um not just dr kevin gilmartin but many others talk about the biological link between physical fitness and your mental health and how even a certain amount of exercise every day, there are studies that show that it can actually help um, reverse the signs of depression. So, um, so they were definitely onto something back then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then another thing that, that I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you're familiar with the term EQ or emotional intelligence, but when I was reading the chapter on, um, emotional vigilance, it really, it really reminded me of the concept of what emotional intelligence is and how important that is for cops in particular, all first responders for that matter, um, to have an understanding of what that is. Cause, cause basically it's, it's kind of what stoicism is. It's being self-aware, self-regulating, uh, your emotions, mm -hmm. being aware of other people's emotions and being empathetic. And so, that really just, as a matter of fact, when I read that part, I circled it and put EQ in the margin because it really <laughs> reminded me of that. So. Yeah. Um, and then one other thing I really liked too, well, there's a lot, but um, you have a chapter, um, I think you even call it about being continually pissed off. Am I right about that? There's, there's a chapter yeah. title, something like that? Yeah, okay. that's, that's pretty much what it is verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly how a cop would talk. So Yeah. Um, Tell us, if you don't mind, like there's there's a lot of examples, which is what I really like about the book. You're so honest. You talk about your particular situations and times when you didn't necessarily make the greatest decisions or act in the most stoic way. Yeah. Um, so in that chapter, I think you give some some examples of that. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on that for everybody? Yeah, so that chapter and point in my life was, and I think maybe every cop, gets to that point is, you know, you, you do X amount of years on patrol for a while, and then you want to start going to specialized units. And, you know, you start getting, maybe get passed over for, for a few of them. And um, when you think that maybe you're the best candidate, so that pisses you off. Like I, when I was starting to, st first starting up uh, to apply to specialized units, I was getting passed over for things that I thought I was, um, you know, probably the most qualified for and that people who are getting the spots were underqualified or me or even had uh, less time than me um, with the agency. And it just you're just then you walk around with a chip on your shoulder and you're just like, you know, what the hell is this? Why do I keep getting passed over for things? And then that stems into like you don't want to do anything at work because then what's the point? I'm not getting anything I, I want. So I might as well just sit here and do nothing and just answer the box type of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. That that scenario seems um, pretty familiar. Mm-hmm. So um, after that, I mean, you talk about this throughout too. Um, you talk a lot about tools um, that have helped you kind of overcome some of the things that we're talking about. So besides reading philosophy daily, which I think you talk about as something that you still do, and you mentioned working out, but what's kind of your your ritual? What do you do to help keep yourself healthy physically, mentally, emotionally? What other tools? Because there's, there's so many. I mean, some people um, go to therapy. Some people go to the gym. Um, and one of the one of the things I, I intend to do with this podcast is just say, hey, there's a lot of different tools and not everything is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just curious, besides besides relying on your your stoic philosophy daily, what what do you do and how do you start your day? So on my work day, well, I won't even go on a work day. So on a, on a day off, because my, usually with work, my day is pretty filled anyway. So on my day off, um, you know, I'll wake up, I will do some reading, whether it be philosophy or maybe a memoir or some sort of leadership book. Or And actually, currently, since I'm doing my master's degree right now, I usually wake up and have to read some of that material and write papers. But I do some sort of intellectual training, if you will, to start my day. Um, that's just, you know, to wake up and you know, get the, the, the blood flow into the brain, I guess you can say. And then usually I work out after that. And it's, I do a hodgepodge of all sorts of things between powerlifting and sandbag workouts, running, rucking. I mean, it's kind of a, a catch-all, I guess, tactical conditioning type of working out. Um, and then usually once I've, um, and I mentioned this in the book, once I've exhausted myself after like an you know, hour, maybe two-hour workout, I usually sit because I have a, uh, a gym in my garage, which... To me, I love, I, I, I hate going to commercial gyms, but so I have my gym in my garage that after I've uh, exhausted myself, I usually just sit there and that's when I do a lot of my reflection, um, just analyzing maybe goals I have or uh, maybe some failures I've had throughout the day or the week and um, kind of just go through those because um, there's just something really thought provoking once you're, when you're physically drained, like your thoughts just kind of seem to enlightened so i'll do that and it's not long maybe like 15 to 20 minutes and i and i usually do that when i'm stretching so i'm kind of doing two things at once um and then after that when i i uh i like working on my house i like doing yard work and again this goes back to um being out in the sun like people hate mowing their lawn i love mowing my lawn i i get another good sweat outside i'm out in the sunlight and again i throw my ipod on and i listen to like a podcast or whatever and I'm having more internal dialogues with myself and analyzing problems. And you know, maybe I'll hear something in a podcast that's really enlightening. So I'll go, you know, think about that more. But it's so on a day off. Yeah, you need to have some sort of hobbies or um, tasks that keep you busy throughout the day, because I'm a huge believer that, you know, the, the idle hands are the devil's playground type of thing. If you sit around and do nothing and you have no mission, that's where you're going to start to uh, doing self, you know, uh, I guess deprecating things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of my um, one of my favorite quotes, I don't remember where I heard it, is structure precedes evolution. 
And I think that we all need something. We all need a framework, a practice of some sort, and that's going to look different for each one of us, just like you said. And I am a proponent of, obviously you are too, of applying ancient wisdom to our modern day lives. Um, I think we can benefit from looking at history mm-hmm. and not not just stoicism. I mean, as the title of the podcast implies, Guns and Yoga, I'm a yoga teacher, so I've done a lot of studying of yogic philosophy and what's kind of neat to me is to see uh, the parallels between yogic philosophy, stoicism, and, and a lot of other things. And and in particular, um, you talked about reflection. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually eight limbs of yoga, not to get too much off on this tangent, but there's a physical limb, which is, you know, the poses themselves, the physical part of it. Um, there's something about breathing, breath work, and how it impacts your nervous system. But there's also self-study, which talked about, you know, the benefits of reading and, and then reflection or meditation. And so, um, a lot of times I feel like, especially cops get turned off sometimes by the, by the word meditation. So I like how you called it reflection because that, that can mean different things to different people. So, oh yeah. and I don't know if you've had those conversations with the guys or girls that you work with or, um, but I do think it's really important to take that time. You know, I feel like for me personally, I do my reflecting or my meditating in the morning. Um, and it sounds like you do kind of a similar thing because I feel like there's, there's a time in the morning where I'm not quite awake yet. I'm kind of in between being awake and asleep and it's just kind of a good time for me. Plus my house is quiet, which it typically isn't. Yeah. So so reflection can mean a lot of different things, not just sitting and meditating. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit about what the Stoics have to say about reflection, which which can also talk about. I mean, which can also mean journaling, which is a big yeah. part of the Stoic philosophy. Yeah. So it's you hit the hit, hit the nail on the head. Is like people don't like the word meditating. Um, maybe especially cops because it's not it's not a macho thing, you know. Uh, people think of meditating as, you know, sitting cross-legged and your eyes closed and like humming to yourself type of thing. Um, but yeah, meditating is it's 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 more than that. It's actually analyzing yourself and your behavior and your actions um, so that you can improve upon them. Um, and the only and it goes into this, you know, the only way to improve yourself is to detach from yourself at some points. You know, you have to see yourself from like a third person type of thing. Like, um, you know, if you if you're going through, I don't know, maybe something you did throughout the week that you that you failed at or you were ashamed of. You know, try looking at your at yourself through a third person and, and analyzing how you would have done things differently to improve for next time. And yeah, so the Stoics were a proponent of journaling. Um, obviously, Marcus Aurelius's book is his journal. Um, Seneca, another Stoic, he wrote plays and letters to people, which eventually became books of Stoicism. So yeah, it's all, you got to, and journaling actually detaches you from your problems. So when you're taking all of your problems in here and you're putting it down on paper, you're essentially detaching and you're seeing yourself from a third person point of view. And that's pretty much what reflection, the point of reflection is, is looking at, looking looking at yourself in the mirror, looking at yourself through a third party and analyzing how you can be better in the future. 
Do, do you journal regularly? Is that something that you do? No, I don't journal regularly. I've said this before, like my Instagram page is, I guess, borderline my journaling. Because like I said, in the morning, I'll do my intellectual reading. Um, I'll read something that's very thought provoking. And then that's when I'll make my Instagram post. And I'll, you know, have a, my little caption is kind of like my detachment into a journal type analyzation thing. So, well, I think that journaling can be so many different things. I think that we have this idea that it has to be, I write in a book and I, I write X, Y, and Z, but I mean, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's your practice. Yeah. So, because, and I have been on your Instagram and I don't want to forget to say this. So if anybody wants to find you on Instagram, it's just the stoic, at the stoic cop, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's really cool because it's pretty simple, just like the, the cover of your book with the blue line and you have some really great quotes, which, which leads me to my next question. If you had to pick, and I know this can be really hard for you, um, what your, your favorite quote is, or do you have like a go-to when, when thing, when situations come up that, that you think of? Oh yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. So his, his phrase, discipline equals freedom or the other one good are like my two go-tos. Mm. I mean, they're, they're stoic in their roots, um, in my opinion. So like they're easy to remember. They're less than three words. So whenever something gets, you know, stressful or chaotic or I don't like the way a situation's going, I usually say those two phrases in my head. Like, I'm glad this is happening good and I need to stay disciplined to work through it. Okay. Can you repeat those again so people so can hear it, that again? It's just good, period. That's the one. It's like a mantra, just good. Whenever th something's going bad in your life, um, just say to yourself, good. And if, you, if you're not familiar with Jocko Willink, go check him out. That's his, one of his catchphrases is just good. And then another one is discipline equals freedom. That's another one of his catchphrases. Um, and that is, you know, when you have an obstacle in your way, you keep the discipline to push through it and conquer it and you know, when. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, both, those are both really good. Um, so if you had to pick, and you may have just answered this, your favorite Stoic, whether it be somebody from hundreds and thousands of years ago or a modern day Stoic, who, who would you say that would be for you? Um, truthfully, I'm going to go ahead and say it's Seneca, who is an ancient philosopher. Um, his writings and especially... His writing on the brevity of life, is, which is one of his works, it's called, it's either on the shortness of life or the brevity of life, however you type it into Amazon, you'll find a copy of it. But it really, that that uh, book really puts into perspective just how much short of time, well, actually, no, how much time we actually do have, which is pretty abundant, we just waste so much of it that it seems short. So he puts that into perspective, like you could live to be 100 years old, you know, 100 years is a long time, but it flies by because we waste so much time. So it's, yeah, he puts into perspective how, you know, use your time wisely. And I haven't read that one, so I'm going to have to add that to my, to my list. Yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite stoic book. That, uh, okay. Yeah, for sure. And, and you bring up a another thing I wanted to talk to you about, I have a lot, I, I kind of wrote down a whole bunch of quotes that, that I really like, but one concept and you just hit up, hit on it 
is memento mori, remember that you will die. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds morbid to a lot of people, especially when you're talking about the profession of policing, since that's a reality for us every day when, when you go out on the street. But I think what people don't understand is we often don't think much about our death. And that's probably one of the, the things that's most guaranteed in life is that we will die. Yeah. But I like how the Stoics explain or relate it to what would you regret not doing if today was your last day on earth? And I just think that's a really, really uh, insightful way of looking at that. Oh, yeah. You know, you, know you, you, you may die. So let that determine what you do say and act right now. You know, if you have loose ends you need to tie up, tie them up because you don't have that much longer. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how much longer you have. Exactly. So when you're in the patrol car, if you still are, or you got a partner, do you guys do you, do you talk stoic philosophy with your, with your people at work or, or do you share this information with them? Because there's a lot of really great wisdom and you have a lot of really good knowledge. So I was just kind of curious, do you have an, any opportunities to, to teach at your agency or, or anything like that? No, I haven't had any opportunities to teach or anything. I mean, in, in conversation, you know, I'll bring up the wisdom kind of like not directly like, hey, this is stoicism. This is what it says. You should look into it type of thing. Because people people don't like that, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's a confrontation, but they don't like being told. I don't know. They just don't like being told like, oh, I'm acting a certain way. So this person says I should go look this up so I can act differently type of thing. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's yeah. it's more of like an indirect uh, advice maybe sometimes. Has anybody asked you about it specifically? Because obviously you've got this this book out now. Do people approach you and talk to you about it? Uh, yeah, I get approached more um, online um, and people ask, you know, I have this problem going on. What's a stoic way to solve it? And, of course, my, um, I guess, blanket answer for that is, you know, you're not going to, you can't control all your problems that or anything that happens to you in life. You can only control your reactions to it. So try, um, thinking of your problem in that solution. What, what can you control and what can't you control? Um, but I also, it, the philosophy is very fluid. There's no one, there's not the stoic way to solve a problem. I mean, it's, it's really up how you interpret the philosophy and how, you feel that it would be best solved under your circumstances. I mean, that's, that's what I usually tell people. Yeah. Well, and, and just before we, uh, before we wrap it up, can you tell everybody if somebody wants to buy your book, how can they find you, find your book, reach you? Could you tell us all yeah. the ways? Yeah. So if you want to buy my book, it is on Amazon. Uh, just go to amazon.com and you can type in the stoic cop. It'll pop up. Um, if you want to contact me directly, I do have an email, which is the stoic cop at gmail.com, or you can just do a private message on Instagram, which again is at the stoic cop. I do have a website, <laughs> the stoic cop.com. Um, I do have some blogs on there. I'm not entirely active on it. The only time I ever post a blog is if, let's say I have an Instagram post, um, that I think is going to be a long one. I'll post it on there, but. Other than that, um, it's the Instagram, the email, and uh, Amazon if you want to contact me or buy the book. 
Okay, great. And I did notice, I did check out your Instagram this morning. Um, besides quotes, you also put some fitness related things, some workouts on there. Can you just tell us about that real quick? If anybody needs a, a dose of inf- inspiration or something that, uh, some ideas of a workout. Yeah. So I daily, I post on the story, not so much a post, but on the story, um, of the workout that I do that day. And, um, I even post my results. So that's the humility, I guess, aspect of it, because if I have a crap workout, I'm still going to post my crap results. Um, just, and that's just to show like, Hey, I still got after it today, even though maybe I was, I didn't want to, or I half-assed it or whatnot, but I'm still out here getting after it. Um, and you should probably be doing it too, but (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to tell you you have to, yeah, I'm not going to tell you I have to, but this is what I'm doing. And you know, hopefully it inspires you to do the same. Yes. Well, you know, and again, just like I said in the beginning, you just never know the the impact you're going to have on somebody. <clears throat> One person just seeing that, you may have ins- inspired them to work out that day, and maybe they weren't going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's kind of my intention is like an indirect like nudge, like, hey, let's uh, let's get up and do something, type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I really appreciate your time um, sharing this this really good philosophy with us in this book. Um, I know it's probably took quite a, quite a while and I didn't ask you that to write the book, um, while working full time. So I really appreciate that because I think this is a long time coming. Um, and I think that people will really appreciate it. I want people to buy the book. It's, it's a pretty easy read. And what I mean by that is the chapters are short, um, and they're very relatable. So if, if you're somebody who doesn't like to typically read, Um, this is a really great book because it's very simple. Um, sometimes people like to just read a little bit at a time, or you can probably finish it in, in one setting, quite honestly, or over just a few hours. Um, so thank you so much for that and for your work and for everything that you do for sharing your story, your time. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with, um, before we sign off? Um, I guess just, you know, if, if you're going through something and you don't think you have an outlet to, uh, to, to work things out, you always do. I mean, you just got to be willing to get yourself out of whatever funk you're in. Um, even if that means using humility, you know, stifling your ego, using humility and going to seek outside help. It doesn't always have to be internalized. So, you know, that's, that's my final uh, closing thought, I guess. And that's great advice. I mean, we're kind of in the midst of a, what I call a, cu- a cultural evolution in law enforcement, um, where we're kind we're trying to turn that stigma around that if you do need help, it's available. You're not going to lose your job. Uh, you're not going to be you know don't feel ashamed of feeling this way. And the whole intention of of us talking about this stuff so openly is that knowing that you're not alone, I think, is probably the the biggest takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of people who, and this is another stoic thing, whatever you're dealing with right now, people in history have dealt with the same exact situation, and people after you are going to deal with the same exact situation. So it's all a matter of what got them through it that you should probably try and mirror. You know, because I put that in the book too, like learning from history is the guaranteed way to not make the same mistake. So, you know, just keep that in mind that no matter what it is, other people have and will have the same issues. 
Yes, you are not alone. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. So many great takeaways from the episode. So let me recap a few of my favorites. One, find what works for you and stick with it so you may find a way to come to peace internally despite the chaotic world around you. This practical application of ancient wisdom is priceless. Two, you can't control a situation, only your reaction to it. One of my favorite quotes is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Three, shift work can impact your circadian rhythm, which may impact your mental health. Make an effort to see the sun every day. Four, don't dismiss your family. They are often the first ones to notice a change in your behavior. Five, meet ego with humility. A healthy ego is a necessary factor in our success, but being overly self-important can lead us down an ugly path and sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Six, finally, take time each day for reflection, whether that be in the form of meditation, time in nature, journaling, or that time after a workout. For more, you can buy Bill's book, The Stoic Cop, on Amazon.com. You can also find him on Instagram as The Stoic Cop. His email address is thestoiccop at gmail.com. His website where you can check out his blog posts is thestoiccop.com. <laughs>